0: Good day to you and welcome to the podcast for the Union Street Meeting House. In this podcast, we will be sharing messages from our weekly worship services. Union Street Meeting House is a Christian ministry that introduces people of all ages to Jesus Christ and recalls those who once knew Him back into an intimate, vibrant, living relationship with Him. We are a house for Christian fellowship and personal growth. You are always welcome here at Union Street Meeting House. Let's go into this week's message right now.
1: Good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, welcome. It's good to see you. So when I was, uh, I don't know, I wasn't too long out of high school. I'm going to say maybe 19 or 20. There was a place in Millsboro, Delaware called Hitchens Automotive. Now, Hitchens Automotive, you see some head nods here, uh, was, a, was the old-fashioned kind of um, car parts place, and they did tires, and they did the recap tires. Now, I don't think they're related to the Hitchens in Milford. I do not know. If you do, you can shout it out, but I don't think they were related, just happened to have the same name. And uh, uh, Mr. Hitchens was an older man by the time I got there, but he had a general manager, and his name was Bob Fitzgerald. So I don't know Bob's status, that's been a long time ago, I'll put it like that, a long time ago. But Bob would have a cigar, and it would never be lit, but he would always just have a cigar, you know, not in the store, but he would just walk around with his cigar. And he was quite a character. And uh, as young men, another friend of mine and I went to work there about the same time, and... Um, you know, you, you're the new guy, so you're just stocking parts or whatever. But every once in a while, they'd get shorthanded, and you'd get to work the front desk, which was kind of awesome. And I remember my first time out at the front desk, uh, people would come in. By the way, how many of you know what I mean when I say a recap tire? yeah. In the old days, the kids have no idea. There's a recap tires, and um, of course, you'd run down the road, and that whole recap would just roll right off the tire, you know. (laughs) It was pretty wild. I think about the things we did, amen? God is good. But I was out to the front desk, and this person came in, and they said, I've just had a blowout on my tire. And Bob Fitzgerald would take his cigar out, and he'd say, well, your misfortune is my fortune. (laughs) Come on in. And he would get him a new tire. So this morning I want to say to you that my voice being lost, my misfortune is your fortune. Because Pastor Bill is going to be speaking today and we're awful glad. Give him a hand as he comes up and I'll get a microphone on him. Amen. Bless you, Lord.
2: Well, glory. That was easy. Good morning. Oh, you're looking pretty good. are you. Thank you. You're looking good. You're looking good. I believe I got the right bunch this morning. Hallelujah. Open your Bibles if you got them to Ephesians. I'm going to start there. We've been there forever with Pastor Carl. And uh, I uh, he said a few things last night that sort of uh, set me in motion. And I uh, want to elaborate on it a little bit. Uh, about the, the calling of God and uh, becoming, uh, like we just sang, uh, you are who he says that you are. Uh, that, that sounds so simple and, and so easy, but uh, it's so profound. And if you allow it, it will affect your life like no other statement you've ever heard. Because there is in our nation, even in the church, an identity crisis. We really do not know who we are. In the early 80s, you know, as I, I was traveling as a United Methodist evangelist with uh, Earl Tyson, we spent almost uh, the entire uh, year in the state of Iowa because the suicide rate was so high among farmers in Iowa because the economy had dropped so bad and so drastically that farms were being put up for sale. Um suicide rate was so alarming that the Des Moines Register printed article after article week after week about two wives as to what to look for in their husbands who were depressed and who would often go and, and, uh, and take their own lives because the economy was so bad. Why would they do that? Well, they do that because they don't know who they are. You find your identity in what you do, not who God says you are. If I was to go out here today and go down to the boardwalk with all them throngs of people who went by my house this morning and, and stopped 100 of them, 97 of them, if I said to them, uh, tell me who you are. You all know what they would say. they tell me what they do. I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm a candlestick maker. I'm a whatever. But rarely will you ever hear anybody say, I'm a child of the most high God. That's who I am. I am who he says I am. He says I am, so therefore I am. And, and when we when we come to that place where we can begin to absorb that and confess that with reality, it'll change how you think and act and how you respond to people. It just will. And and the key to that is just deciding that his word is truth. Tim, Pastor Tim mentioned. Uh, the uh, the uh, unity that needs to occur the uh, in, in the in the body of Christ that we need to become one in him and uh, that is absolute reality and the key to that is to know him when I uh, began to struggle after I got saved at the right bold age of in my 40s before I was converted um, I began to hear for about a year and a half uh, just phrase that kept bubbling up in my spirit. And the phrase was, I want you to come apart and learn of me. He didn't say, I want you to come apart and learn the Bible. I I met guys all across America who can quote the Bible verbatim and as lost as a goony bird. Because they don't know him. I met Methodist pastors who are pastoring pastoring churches with five and six hundred people in them, who didn't believe in the Virgin Conception or the Immaculate Birth of the Virgin Mary. And I'm thinking, how in heaven's name do you got anything to preach? But that's uh, they're out there. That that is an absolute fact. And the key to us is to know Him, to know Him. That's the communication issue it, that. Pastor Tim mentioned to is the word I thought about when he said that, I thought about, well, that's why the word had to become flesh. You know, John tapped into that, and I love that. If I had only had one scripture to preach for the rest of my life, I could preach on that one scripture, and, and it would be interesting, I think, to all of us. It really is. That the communication issue, see, is deciding what God is like. Once you decide there is a God, and if you don't believe there is a God, then you need to check your IQ, I think, because good heavens, I, it, it, it takes more faith to believe there's not a God than, there, than it does to believe that there is a God. That's for sure. And, and, and John made it so simple. You know, Luke goes through two, two, two chapters on uh, identifying the birth and, and the uh, life of, uh, of Jesus. And John just cuts to the chase. John says, in the beginning was the word, The word was with God. The word was God. And the 14th verse says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You want to communicate the word? Flesh it out. What the world is longing for this morning as we're here worshiping is to see the reality of what you believe. Let your your walk be as good as your talk. And when that happens and the world sees us loving on one another as we should, John said that the world will know that I am who you said I am. And that that will make a difference in the lives of people when we know that we know that we know that we know in our knowers that Jesus Christ is Lord and King of Kings and is Emmanuel, God with us. Once you decide there is a God, then you have to decide, well, what's he like? What is God like? Well, the Muslims who flew those planes into the World Trade Center, they had a concept of God that was an absolute lie. Hello. It's a lie. It's all there is to it. Two seconds after those planes hit that trade center, all those Muslims on that plane, those hijackers, knew they had chosen the wrong God. Instantly, they knew that. We have to decide that we know that, but to the extent that we duplicate that as we preach it and live it, will we be effective in making a difference in our culture and in our world. Too many people, too many of us get saved and satisfied. God did not do all he did just so we could get a ticket to bypass hell and go to heaven. If that was what he wanted, we all all just blow our brains out five minutes after we get saved. I'm not, I'm not trying to be cute. I'm telling you, that's, that's the reality. Because God has a ministry for all of us to get involved in. And I am just absolutely amazed at how many people do not realize that what God has called them out of is lesser than what he is calling us into. God does not call us out of something until he has a plan and a purpose to lead us into something. All my life, I just lived and and sort of went wherever the wind blew. I had no plan, no purpose, did not think that I was anything special, that God had any gifts in me whatsoever. And only after I became a Christian and committed my life to God did I begin to understand that there was this knowing, I want you to come apart and learn of me. Well, I interpreted that as uh, he wanted me to go to to Bible school someplace. And so that was the beginning of the journey. But he has gifted you. And I'm also amazed at how many people really never understand their gifting. He has gifted every one of us. In the book of Ephesians, did I tell you to turn there? Well, good. Turn to look at that third chapter. This is what the theme that's going on here is that God is uh, is is working to blend the the uh, two uh, fac- factions, if you would, uh, in in our world, the Jew and the Gentile together. Okay, He wants unity. He wants uh, see the 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 Christianity in the beginning was just a, uh, the Jews who got converted until the word got to Cornelius' house and that dialogue that, and all of you I'm sure know that, that uh, Cornelius was called and uh, Peter got involved in that and for the first time, the, the church of, uh, of Christians who had been Jews Got to see that God did the same thing to the Gentile community in Cornelius' house that had happened to them, and they broke bridge together and created a lot of confusion and hostility in the in the body of believers back in that in that day. But it was it was God at work bringing all of us together and saying, "Hey, hey, we're all one. Black, white, red, Gentile, Jew. It doesn't matter." The Word will work on anybody if you will receive it, and it will change your life and your attitude. And how many of you believe that we need a change of attitude in our nation? Absolutely. I mean, we are in trouble. And the trouble is, that see, that the church has not been the church. We've not proclaimed the good news. We've not preached the gospel to people who understand that in Ephesians, you know you have been given and called to do a ministry, and I want to share some of that with you this morning. But let's read this these verses in his third chapter. Well, let's let you know the history prior to this, hopefully. But in that third chapter, let's come on down to verse six, and um, let me let me just drop those first two words because this is the middle of a sentence. But just say this in verse in in uh, Ephesians six, or Ephesians three six. Gentiles should be fellowship heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. He's saying there that Gentiles fit right in with everybody else. Nothing special about the Jews. The Jews today still don't like Christians. You want, you want to get arrested? Go to Jerusalem and, and begin to hand out uh, Christian uh, pamphlets to the, to the populace. You get arrested against the Lord over there in Jerusalem. Most people don't know that. It's an absolute fact. Jews don't like, Jews, if, if the kosher Jew, the Hasidic Jew with the little pigtail, if they bump into you on the street over there, they'll go home and cleanse themselves because they've been contaminated because they touched you. That's the, that's the vial they have for, for Christians. What a, what a sad state of affairs. And Jesus has come to, clear up all that confusion. And and it's going to happen as we live this thing out and begin to live and love like he did. So that gen- Gentiles should be fellow, fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And he says in verse seven, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Now, let me... Let me just say right here that verse 7 is my life. I know this. I know that I became a minister according to the gift of His grace and His glory. Nothing in me except what He put there to use in me, through me, to touch other people. And He wants to do the same thing to you. We talk about this this unity to becoming one. What What is the one ministry that God has given to everybody? He has given to us, 2 Corinthians 5, he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. reconciliation. To wit, or to know that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world, so that our call is to not only invite people to be reconciled to God, as a result of that, we will be reconciled to each other. When we fall in love with Jesus, and, and that happened to me, when I fell in love with Jesus, I fell in love with people. And I find myself at a, at a meeting in South Carolina hearing a singer who had just written a song called I Want to Spend My Life Mending Broken People and I sat there weeping, water running off the, my cheekbones saying, so do I, Lord, so do I. And I'm going to tell you something. Two or three years later, I find myself saying, Lord, not so many at one time, please. <laughs> There's an abundance of broken, hurting people. We've been hurt. Hurting people hurt people. That's what's happened in our culture. Okay? And he wants to change that. He wants to use you. While we're in Ephesians, let's turn over to the uh, chapter four. Uh, Now, I've already mentioned in chapter three about the, the gift of grace, but look what it says in verse seven, spiritual gifts. But to each one of us, grace was given According to the measure of Christ's gift. Each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Look at your neighbor and say, you have gifts. Okay. (laughs) Okay. He gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave himself, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers." For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the statute, stature of the fullness of Christ. And he goes on to say, No longer be children tossed to and fro. Look at me just a minute. Don't look back at your Bibles. Who is it supposed to do the work of the ministry? Who? You are. What's the role of the pastor, teacher, prophet, apostle, evangelist? What's, what's that role? To equip or to teach the saints, to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And for too long, the church has just settled on the fact that the preacher is supposed to do the work. That's what we pay you for, preacher. I was, had a cough last week. You didn't even come see me. We pay you to do that. No. No, we're to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. It gets awful quiet when you say things like that. Have you noticed that? <laughs> you know, Bill, someone you just shut up stop meddling and just to preach the gospel? That's what I'm doing, preaching the gospel. I didn't write this. I'm just reading it to you. We are to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Okay? All right. Now, that, all of that is a foundation to get you thinking like I'm thinking as I get into the message I really want to share with you today. You thought it was over, in it, didn't you? <laughs> uh, turn back in your in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke uh, for just a moment. Luke's Gospel, chapter two. And uh, in Luke two is uh, uh, a a verse that I've read. First, I mean, I don't know how many times I read it before I saw it, you know. Uh, but we, this, this story, is, uh, we're going to pick up here in, uh, in Luke 2 verse, in that, uh, just read one verse, 52nd verse, which is just before chapter 3. Uh, but it's a, a verse of scripture that I read for the first time when I saw it, and I thought, holy smoke, what a What a promise. What, a, what an avenue to begin to walk in. And, then, and we, we picked this up. This is right after Jesus' birth and his, his you know, the, the is returning back to Nazareth and they go on two days and discover he's not with them, don't know where he is. They go back looking for him and he's in the temple uh, confounding some of the priests who, uh, who didn't believe that Jesus really was who he said he was. And that's the, the dilemma still today with the Jewish community. Oh, they'll, they'll look you right in the eye and tell you that Jesus was a was a, a, a rabbi, a good man, a moral man, but not divine. Well, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Uh, we I've, we we hosted. I don't know if I, I think I've been to Israel five times, and uh, two or three times we used the same. We asked for the same guide because he was so good. He was uh, Amnon was not only a. Uh, licensed tour guide. He was also a licensed archaeologist, so he knew a lot of the history way back. And But he would, he looked me right in the eye, man, and, and I couldn't believe a man, as smart as he was, could say, well, Jesus was good man, but not divine. Because Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, he's either who he said he was, or he's a nutcase. Hello. You, you can't have it both ways. If somebody knocked on your door this afternoon when you get back home and you go see who it is and, they, and I say, who, you, you say to them, who, who are you? And, and they say, well, I'm Jesus. I'm the Messiah. You got a choice to make. You say, well, praise God, come on in. <laughs> or you're going to say, you're a nut. <laughs> and close the door and get on with your business, right? <laughs> All right. So, so how they can do that, I don't know. Well, that's, that's their argument. That's what they say to you, it really is. But in this, uh, in this uh, 52nd verse of Luke 2, uh, as he's on his way back with them, it says this, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And I thought to myself, is there anything better than fighting favor with God and men? I don't know what it would be when you're in favor with God and and you find favor with Him, and and men. It is amazing what can happen to and through you as we get involved in life in the kingdom. And this is a, a it just blew me away. And then uh, some things happened in my life as I began to obey God and went to school as a second career and. Came back and you know, started a Bible study in our home. And uh, people kept saying, you know, when you, you know, you ought to start a church. And I kept saying for years, no, start a church. We don't need more churches. We just need some life in the ones we got. Yeah. And I ended up having to eat those words because we started a church. I never did announce I was going to start a church. We started doing services at the campground for the campers. And uh, it, we, we did that from Memorial Day to Labor Day. And after Labor Day, they all went back someplace else, except I discovered that most of them wasn't going anywhere else. They didn't go anywhere until we started back again next spring. And, and so I finally thought, well, we'll just continue to do the services. So that's what I announced. I said, if you don't have a home church, we'll be here next Sunday. And uh, this was the Sunday after Labor Day in uh in what 981, i guess that was and we had 33 people show up in the campground in the midst of the frost a little little nippy back there and, and uh so uh, we met in uh, in the basement and basement of our home first week we had 33 next week we had 50 some and that's that's too many in our basement we packed them in and so we began to look for a place and uh claudess and son's hardware store had closed it was an empty building and i went to see them about running that and we worked out a deal and we rented the building and uh, ended up buying the building and we mod- remodeled it three times and uh, went from, you know, uh, we, we had, I think we could see it about 300 in there, 350, something like that, uh, when we got done, we had no more walls to push out. And uh, it was just a, a time of reacting to what God was doing as he kept sending people. And uh, was not a time uh, of, had no time to really think and plan and, and surge ahead. But I'm, what, I want you to hear what I'm saying here the, in the context of what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not saying anything today that I'm trying to toot Bill's horn because anybody who knows me knows that what happened out there is way above me. Okay? I don't have enough sense to do that. But God does. And if you just do it God's way, it's amazing what he'll do. And even, and let me just say this right up front, because in the process of those years, I made a lot of mistakes. But you know, when when your heart is right, and, and I can say this with all honesty, that the mistakes I made were mistakes of ignorance. I just didn't know any better. Okay? And I've discovered that when your heart is right, even if you make a mistake, God will take that mistake and make a miracle out of it. But our heart's got to be right. What's your intention? What's your motivation? Do you just love people and you want to see people rise up and live above where they're living? Where we're so depressed and anxious. And, and listen, God is still in charge. The world's in a mess. No question about it. the United States is in a mess. But my hope is not in the United States. My hope is not in the White House. It's in, in Christ's house. It's in the church. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to wind this thing up. And He's we're going to win. Have you noticed? Have you read the last chapter? We win, okay, and 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 to do that, we have to just yield ourselves sometimes and say, "This don't make sense," but God said, "Am I going to do it anyway?" Been there many times, and God will take that. And I discovered that as I moved ahead in ministry and we stepped out in faith, that we would find favor with God and man. That is a it's a powerful statement when you can. Have favor not only with God but with the the people that are around you. It started with the with the, buying the hardware store. I mean, we'd been there a few months, growing beliefs and binds. We had momentum going. We were averaging you know five or six new families every week, and uh, the owners of the building said, "Hey, we're going to sell this building. Uh, give you first first dibs on it if you want it." And uh, so we, I called up. We had, I had appointed it. It just seemed good to me to have 12 on a board. So I had a 12-member board. That's how many Jesus had. So I thought it was just a good number. <laughs> and uh, we met together and said, hey, they're going to sell this building. Do, do we want to buy it? And the first person opened his mouth and said, oh, my Lord, no. <laughs> this thing looks like Branch Davidian compound. You know, and it did. There was no question about that. We, we didn't know much, but we knew this. The people who were coming... We're not coming because it's a beautiful building, I can tell you that. It was, <laughs> uh, it was, a, it was amazing. It was amazing. It really was. My dear. I, I was talking to some, someone recently who, who was among the, the first ones who came there. And I asked him how, how come they just moved here from the Baltimore area, a uh, younger couple. I said, how, how come you ended up at How would you find us? He said, well, we moved to the Milton area, and when one Sunday we just rode from church to church and rode through the parking lot. And he said, we looked for people and cars that had uh, ministry relation tags on them, like uh, pregnancy center or uh, radio station. Or, and he said, uh, it was amazing how many, how many cars were in Eagle's Nest parking lot that had, the bar- at the time, that would have been the late FM, or the Sussex County Pregnancy Center locales on the front of the cars. He said, based on that, we decided to visit that church first. And they they visited Eagle's Nest and never left. Uh, but the the point being that we were growing by leaps and bounds, we really were. And it was just reacting to the people who came, not doing a lot of planning and, and looking ahead for the things that are gonna happen. So we went to the bank and uh, uh, that that that, by the way, was the first re- reaction I had to that, and uh, we worked through that by a vote and uh, overwhelming uh, vote. I had to break the tie to say, "Hey, we got we got to buy this building. Is, the price is it a little more we'd like to, yeah, but we got momentum. And once you stop momentum, how I many you know it's really hard to get it going again." But we were on a roll and people were coming and excited about it. And We had one guy who came whose daughter is still in our group uh, who, uh, her daddy came to me. He'd been coming for, I don't know, maybe a couple months. He came to me one Sunday and said, I am just so glad to be here. He said, I want you to know I've been praying for this church for the last, uh, I think he said four years. I said, we're not four years old. How could you- <laughs> You've been praying for a church for four years. He said, oh, I didn't know the name of it. I was praying for a church like this where everybody was welcome and they could hear the word of God being preached. Oh, hallelujah. That's where we want to be. That's where we want to be. Uh, that church is making a difference in people's lives. Fast forward, uh, we were doing the uh, with cooperation with the radio station, the campground, Put together a, uh, a festival called Lamb Jam. How many of you ever attended Lamb Jam? Okay, several. Uh, Lamb Jam, the Christian Festival, like uh, creation. Yeah, very similar to that. Uh, we had uh, one, one, one year we had Carmen as our uh, featured artist, if you would, and we had 10,000 people at that campground. 10,000 people for one event. Made a difference. It made a difference in people's lives. How did all this happen? Finding favor with God and finding favor with man. We went to the bank after we, the vote came in. I broke the tie. We knew we had to buy the bill. We went to the bank to borrow some money and got turned down because we were brand new. They didn't know anything about us or, you know. Uh, so I went to a, this was a bank that was headquartered in, uh, in Wilmington. So I went to a local bank. Who, uh, who knew me, and uh, he said, uh, give, me, give me all the information you sent to the other bank. I didn't even go see him, I called him, the bank president. I said, here's the deal, we'd like to borrow this money. And he said, well, send me whatever you sent to the other, the other bank. I told him we'd been turned down. Uh, I knew he'd find it out anyway, so you're going to tell him up front. And uh, uh, so uh, I sent all the material, all the numbers to him. And uh, they approved it and we got the money and never even, I never did go into the guy's office. He just mailed the papers back to me and we signed it and, and moved ahead and, and bought that building. Uh, we started doing the lamb jam in the meantime and run out of space, obviously, for parking cars. And I went to the the land next to the campground. Uh, the man who owned that had, was going to develop it and this was back in the 80s when we went through another crunch of uh, market fell and not much was moving and all that. And uh, I went to see if he would lease us five acres just to park cars on for lamb jam. That's all we needed for. And he said, No, nah, I don't want to do that. He said, You know, I've, I've just got a guy tilling it and I don't want a farmer, local farmers tilling it. I just want to keep the weeds out of it. And he said, uh, And this economy is, is dropped. He said, uh, You ought to buy it. He said, You'd add, add it on to your campground. I said, Well, I got all the campground I want, but uh, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't mind buying it, uh, like build church on it someday. He said, Well, I'll sell it to you. I said, Well, Uh, that's good. I said, but there's also another problem. I don't have any money. (laughs) That's a major problem. He called me two or three days later and said, were you serious about wanting to interested in that church? I said, yes, I was. I said, I was also serious saying we don't have any money. And he said, "Uh, well, I'd be interested in in talking to you. So I met with him and he worked a deal and we had to come up with uh, $20,000 down payment. He wanted... uh, $20,000 a year for five years and then a balloon payment. I thought we can do that. We had momentum going and we did. We signed that contract, bought that 57 acres and uh, settled on it, gave the the requirement of $20,000. I announced to the congregation next Sunday that hey, we, we got an opportunity to buy 57 acres just down the road here. And uh, we uh, we need twenty thousand dollars, and uh, twenty thousand dollars came in that week, and uh, didn't have a gift bigger than thousand dollars. That was the biggest one we had, and uh, we paid that land off. It took about a year and a half, and we had that land paid off. Uh, favor, we had favor with the guy who owned the land. Okay, so now we want to we we've knocked all the walls out of the hardware store and have no place to go, and uh, so we need to build. So we announced that we're going to have a uh, stewardship campaign. I had a big dinner and a guest speaker come and I uh, had money's uh, pledged to build this thing and uh, I had a couple in the church before we, just before we had the before we made any plans for the stewardship campaign or the dinner a couple came to me and said uh, you, you know you're just pushing the walls out here what how close are you to building something but you know a new building or moving somewhere else and I said, well, we're about $25,000, $30,000 short of even getting serious about it. I said, you know, there's no need to talk about it when you don't have hardly any money at all. And uh, he said, oh, and he and his wife were getting ready. He had uh, retired, and they were getting ready to move from, they they lived in the Milford area. They are getting ready to move uh, down south where it was a lot warmer. And the next Wednesday night, he came to the the Wednesday night meeting and uh, handed me a check for $30,000 and said, here, I want to, Plant this seed, to get this church started. You need you need to move on, and uh, through the tears and the hugging, why we uh, we launched in that stewardship campaign. Then had the money pledged to to build the church uh, enough that it was livable and could get along with it. And then I had all the critics who came and said, "Listen, you know I know you got pledges, but you know you, you'll only collect about 65, 70 percent of those pledges because people make pledges and never keep them." Well, uh, the, what happened was we, we collected 110% of the pledges. More than God pledged came in, and, and the rest is history, they say, and, and we moved on. And uh, got the church built, a new church, moved into it in 99, uh, uh, and uh, still going and still uh, ministering to people and loving people and, and still growing by, uh, by leaps and bounds in a, in a manner of speaking. And uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the next event was we in the meantime of course we had started the, the school and uh, we needed a, uh, we needed a gym to, uh, pretty bad. we really do. We had uh, we were up at about, I think at that time around 300 students in the school uh, pre-k through eighth grade. We needed a gym and uh, Began to uh, get serious about it. Thought when we first started talking about it, we could probably build a gym for a million bucks. and uh, But we needed more classrooms too. So it was a gym in, I think, uh, six classrooms they were going to build. And uh, the the bid was $3 million. Holy smoke. You know, we'd already, church, had already spending about $50,000 a year to just keep the school afloat because tuition does not, you, you can't charge enough of, People can't pay the tuition. That's enough to float to school. That's all there is to it. Christian schools, private schools, they got to have somebody backing them. And so we were putting about fifty thousand dollars every year into the school to keep it going. And uh, uh, there was no way I could go back to the church and say, "Hey, now we want to. We want you to give some more. We're going to build. A, we need to build a three million dollar classrooms and, and a gym." And so. Uh, that was where we were. We just began to pray about it. My prayer was, Lord, you uh, you said you would meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory. This is not something we want. This is a need. And if you've been here on a rainy day, Lord, you know what this place looks like when those kids can't get outside. And uh, it was um, it, it was it was a rough time. And so in the process of this, uh, me praying about it, saying, Lord, you know our need. I jokingly said to Miss Lucy Dutton, who was our running our school at the time. I said, Lucy, uh, I'll raise two million. You find uh, the other million, and we'll be home free. And she laughed and said, "Okay." Just uh, several weeks later, I'd been uh, I'd been witnessing to a, a local businessman, or a realtor, a developer, who had uh, I had recently met, and we had some things in common. And I, I always I've I've always constantly kept somebody in the back of my head that I'm witnessing to, as a, I call him a candidate. I could I just adopt him and live with him and. Try to present the gospel in a way they can understand it, and and so I was having lunch with him every week, and uh, in the midst of this dialogue about the new building and the gym, uh, he came in one, uh, one one day to to go to lunch, and I uh, I was on the phone when he came in. He walked right into the office, and which is he always did, and uh, and I hung up the phone, greeted him, we chatted a couple of minutes, and he he pulled a check out of his pocket and laid it on the desk and said, uh, "Here, use this where you need it." And uh, I said, okay. And I picked a check up and looked at it and I laid it back down. And I said, "Uh, let me talk to you for just a minute about something that means more to me than that check. And he looked at me and I said, your salvation. I said, I'm convinced you don't know if you was to die before you get out of that chair. You don't know where you'd go, heaven or hell. I said, and I don't know why I like you so much, but I do. And I'd like to thank you and to know that you're going to spend life with me in, in eternity. And I looked up at him and he was uh, tears running down his cheeks. And, I, and you'd have to know this guy to know that's not him. Something was working on him and I knew I had him. I knew God was dealing with him. Led him to the Lord. And uh, he shoved the, back, the check back to me and I picked it up and put it in my pocket. The check was for a million dollars million bucks. I went home that night to tell Mary Jane about this event, my wife. And I said, that had to be God. Because if I had thought about this, I would never have done that. Because I stood a good chance of ticking him off. <laughs> and he picking up his check and leaving it. That's, that's a fact. Well, I, I knew how much the check was when I slid it back to him. Because I looked at it. And, I said, Let me, and, I, and it was just a God moment. He just was. That's all there was to it. Not many folk have seen million-dollar checks. Five days later, his business partner come in and matched it in appreciation for his, because he was a Christian, his partner, and he matched a million dollars. I had two million. I'm still looking for Lucy's million, but... (laughs) What is that? Favor. His favor with God and man, with God and man. We started construction, gave the contract to Warful Construction in Melford to build the building at phase one. We called it in the meantime. I had administered to uh, I did a lot of a, a ton of marriage counseling, and God used me to really heal a lot of marriages. Really did. I, I. I I never felt like I had any special call for that. It was just a matter of God would send them and I would just give them the word. Uh, that's all I knew to do. and uh, it, was, it, was a, it was just a miracle how many, how, how many times that happened. That, and so I uh, began to do a lot of ministry outside of the people who were coming to Eagles Nest. Other churches would, from other churches, people would come to their marriage going to hell in a handbasket and they'd come and uh, I would spend some time with them and God would heal him. As a result of that, that was one of the instances, and uh, we were uh, uh, Warfel was putting together the contract on the on the new building, and uh, I uh, Sam Yoder, Sam Mueller, who built has trusses. How you know? Seen Sam Mueller's trucks or heard his ads on the the bridge? He's still advertising on the bridge. Sam's gone to glory, but his business is still going on. His had been some minister in his family, just put it that way, that he appreciated. And he said, Hey, when you uh, you get your prices together on that building, he said, I want to give you a price on the on the trusses. He said, I can uh, I want to help you. I said, Okay. So I told the, cons- the contractor that and he said, Oh man, you, you know, yeah you do that, he'll he wants to give you you know, two, three, five percent off and he said, It'll be a scheduling nightmare and you just don't want to do that and uh, I said, well, I'd like for you to, and he he wants to give you a bid, and I'd like for you to to get a bid from him. I found out later that there uh, had been a disagreement over something, and uh, that needed to be healed between Sam and Warfel, and uh, uh, that worked out too, but uh, uh, then I discovered that Sam called me and said, I'm going to, those trusses are, uh, I'm going to give you half of them half the cost the, the trusses uh, that total was $168,000 worth of trusses in that building and he said I'm gonna build half of it to you and uh, uh, so I went back to the contractor and said hey <laughs> this is this is a real deal uh, you, you're gonna get those trusses from him so they did and that partially was a, a healing that occurred there between the two of them and uh, so the building was underway and they were setting the trusses and uh, my phone rang one morning and it was Sam Sam Yoder and he said, uh, I need to talk to you. Can you meet me back at the, at the site? I said, sure. So we picked a time and I went back to meet him at the site and uh, he started uh, talking and as he was talking the whole time he was crying. Tears running right off his cheekbones and he said, uh, I've, I've come to ask you to forgive me. Here's a man giving me a half, you know, 80-some thousand dollars worth of, I said, forgive you for what? He said, God told me to give you those trusses. And I knew we couldn't afford that. And so I told you half price. He said, and God has eaten my lunch. He said, I, I can't, I, I got to give them to you. I want you to know that you'll not get a bill for those trusses. I will pay the uh, commission to the salespeople. They'll, as far as they know, it's all done. And uh, but the trusses are free to you. Favor with God and man. How does Sam know us? When my son put the late FM radio station on the air, it was fought by a group of people who tried to stop it. Uh, a man who had just recently bought property down here from, moved down here from Tom's River, New Jersey, who uh, for whatever reason, in fact, he called the movement, the uh, uh, Stop Salmon's Tower of Babel, S-T-O-B, I think it was they called themselves. Stop, Salmon's, Tower, or Babel. Yeah, it was during the time of the scandal with Jimmy Swaggart and Jimmy and Tammy, and so he he thought we were just in that that same category, you know, and we were just ripping off little old ladies with their Social Security checks or whatever. And uh, he was buying all his building materials off Sam Yoder, and it culminated in the fact that uh, he got so violent about it. He was planting, We called him planting asbestos on the site where we, they were remodeling a, uh, an old labor camp to use as a studio. And uh, he was going on the property and calling the environmental people after he planted asbestos there and trying to get the construction stopped. And uh, my son there one, one weekend uh, hit, his, hit his vehicle and hit it in one of the buildings and caught him planting, doing this and took his picture and as a result of that he attacked my son broke his nose and knocked him to the ground and threatened to kill it his uh, his two boys if he went to the police and uh i had he bill called me and i went to pick him up take him to the hospital well i made the papers all, all of a sudden the, the the tide turned and uh made the front page of the wilmington newspaper a matter of fact as well as the dollar state news and Mr. Stamat, who did uh, who one beat up my son, goes into Sam Yoder's to buy some more, more lumber because he's building a new home down here, a mansion by the way. And uh, he said to his uh, floor employees, if when Mr. Stamat comes in, tell him I want to talk to him before you sell him anything. And so they did. When the next time he came in, they sent him back to Sam's office, and Sam had the newspaper article in there, and he turned it around and slid it over to him. He said, uh, Mr. Stamatt, is that, is that true, is that you? And he acknowledged that it was him. And so Sam said to him, well, I'd, uh, I'd appreciate if you just take your business somewhere else. We don't do business with people like that in this county. I thought, man alive, there's two people left with integrity, you know? And that cost him something. And uh, I'm sure that uh, as I stand here today, that Sam is dancing around the throne in glory, receiving the yes. the results of that uh, of his heart, that the things that he give. Uh, how do we do that? What is there is there a key to finding favor with God and man? Is it just happen by happenstance? I don't think it does. Turn in your Bibles with me to. Uh, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them, mercy and truth, bind mercy and truth around your neck, Write them on the tablet of your heart and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Sound familiar? What's the key to this? Living, living, living with mercy and truth. Be merciful, be a mercy extender. What's truth? The word of God. What's the epitome of truth? The Lord Jesus? When Paul said, "What is truth?" Here was the epitome of truth standing in front of him, he didn't recognize it. Again, identity. Pharisees, who knew the Bible, who knew the Pentateuch, the five first five books of the Bible. Experts when it came to knowing about God. And here comes God. In the form of a, of a man named Jesus. And the Pharisees said, Who are you? What do you mean we've seen God if we've seen you? He didn't look like their perception. He didn't measure up. He was he was so he, he was so human, they couldn't believe he was divine. And today we got the same problem only reversed. We see him as so divine, we can't believe he was ever human. Because he said to the church as he went away, "I'm going to come again, going to be one just like me. He's not going to just be with you. He's going to be in you, and the works that I've done were the works. What are the works? See, the church has become a referral service. you got a physical problem, you go to the medical doctor. you got a schizophrenic problem, a head problem, we send you to the shrink. We ought to hit the altar and we begin to cast darkness out of people. Thank you for all that support, two of you at least. That's an absolute fact. That the church has the authority to do it. Why don't we do it? We don't know who we are. Listen, John three sixteen and Jesus saying, the works that I've done you'll do also is in the same book. I didn't write it, I'm just telling you what it says, and you all know that. And the church has got to come alive and begin to walk in the identity that he has given to us so that we come to the place and agree with what we sang this morning. He says, I am who he says I am. Whether well, I'm living like it, looking like it, acting like it or not. Now we've got to become who we are. We got to become who we are in Him, and it's in Him that we find success. It's in Him as we preach truth, as we live and and become mercy extenders and forgiving and loving people, and stop, you know, living in these class actions. And you are, you know, it, it, for instance, do, do you really believe that there's not a Democrat that believes abortion is wrong? You know there are. But why aren't they voting that? Because their allegiance to the party is stronger than it is to God. You can you can't slice it any other way. And I better quit because I'm out of time and I'm meddling a little bit now. <laughs> but hear me, hear me, church. Uh, you know, I'm eighty five years old. I, I ain't got much longer to go. I'm gonna go on, I'm gonna keep preaching until I can keep preach. But I'm, I'm gonna tell you this that uh, I, I don't have an axe to grind. I don't have nothing to gain. I'm just telling you the church has got to come alive. The, the power, the ability is here. We just need to avail ourselves of it and begin to take seriously the call of God upon our lives. Stop saying I don't have any gifts. He has gifted you. See, no matter what you Pastor Carl said last night, it don't matter what you're doing, is you understand that what you're doing is a ministry unto God. You may be making trust. You may be a doctor, a lawyer, a candlestick. It don't matter what you're doing. Your call is, is to be a son and daughter of God and to be a minister in that place. You say, well, the place I'm working, man, it's the worst folks you've ever seen in your life. I can't hardly I can't stand to be there. Well, it might be why he's got you there. Be a light in the midst of that darkness. Don't run from it. Embrace it. Use it as an opportunity to, to, to honor him and find favor with him and with people. What a, what, a, what a marvelous thing, it really is. You say amen to that or not? Amen. You agree with that? Yes. Okay, won't you stand? I wanna pray for you. Let's come alive in the Lord, okay? Yes. And if, if you're here and you really wanna, you're serious about this and you want to be equipped to go forth and really make a drastic change, I'll be here to just lay hands on you and agree with you. That you're going to make a drastic change in your life, because we're going to stop being pacifist and and not involved in ministry. You, it's, it's not just coming to church and hearing three points on a point and going home and say, "Wasn't that a, wasn't what, what a lovely talk?" Uh, we're, don't ever say that. I've had people say to me, "Preacher, that was a good talk." I, I don't want to give you a good talk. I want to I want to be transforming. I want your lives to be transformed, and it's transformed as we uh, hunger for Him, and we get revelation, and we begin to realize who we are the possibilities and potential that we have in Him, and then we can make a difference. we got to live this thing out. Amen? Amen? Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Spirit that has been sent and given that all we have to do is repent and seek and ask. You said you would give the Holy Spirit to those who ask because as earthly fathers give good gifts to their children, how much more would you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Lord, we know the the dimension that's missing in the church is the power of Pentecost. And may that power be released here in this this group, in this community. We might transform this community. Lord, 120 people transformed the world. We certainly can transform this community with the people that are here this, not this, this day. So, Lord, stir us up, fill us with Your Spirit, that Your will and Your way and Your mercy may be in us and work through us, and that people will look at us and say, "I don't know what it is about them, but they're they're just different." So loving, so kind, so generous, so caring. Lord, let that be the identity of this work we call Union Street Meeting House. And let it be real. And we thank you for the opportunities that are ours as we press on to the prize of that high call. In Jesus' name, and God's people all said, Amen and Amen. And you are dismissed. And if you'd like special prayer, you come. And I would be honored to just agree with you in prayer. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. You know, we would love to invite you to come and visit us in person sometime. If you're ever in our area, you can find us at 415 Union Street in Milton, Delaware, where we have prayer and worship services on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m., Bible study on Saturday evenings at 7 p.m., and a Sunday morning worship service at 10:30 a.m., We would love to minister to your children as well. We offer children's church during the adult service. Children are excused to go back to their classes right after the worship time. You can also find more information about us on the web at unionstreetmeetinghouse.org or on Facebook at Union Street Meeting House. So we look forward to sharing the message with you next week hope you'll return to this podcast thank you so much and god bless you